do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12:2. This is Resistance and Reformation on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. In 1815, just as the Napoleonic Wars shuddered to an end on the fields of Waterloo, Thomas Chalmers departed from his beloved rural Fifeshire parish at Kilmeny to take up pastoral labors in the frenetic industrial metropolis of Glasgow. He had recently emerged as the leader of a vibrant evangelical resurgence throughout Scotland. His determination to restore the parish model of ministry amidst urban industrial blight had captivated the imaginations of churchmen and social reformers throughout the land. Even so, he was still only on the threshold of what would become one of the most fruitful, impactful ministries in the whole history of the Christian church. In the coming years, he would serve as pastor, professor, and publisher. He would establish schools, missions organizations, and Bible societies. He would write books on a myriad of subjects from economics and social policy to systematic theology and strategic missional extension. He would lead an unprecedented church planting movement and he would mentor an entire generation of theologians, pastors, educators, missionaries, writers, thinkers, scientists, politicians, and reformers. According to historian Ian Murray, when Thomas Chalmers was born in 1780, it was about the deadest time in the history of the Church of Scotland since the Reformation. When he died in 1847, it was about the alivest. The difference was almost entirely attributable to the Spirit's work through him. Indeed, a generation later, Kelton McPhee would exclaim, Scotland is now filled with men, and England has more than a few such, who never weary in giving utterance to their feelings when they speak of those times of happy excitement when they spent in the presence of of Dr. Chalmers in moral philosophy or theology in the classroom while the great man himself held the mind and the soul of all present in his powerful grasp. Inasmuch as he sent forth over its surface a body of men who, if they turn not aside from the path that he sent them forward, may, and with God's help, will bring about the Christian regeneration of Scotland. For now, every parish has a young would-be Chalmers. C.H. Waller also declared, The nearest approach that I know of in the history of the church to the universal apostolic conditions of faith and living uh, was what was to be seen in the Free Church of Scotland in its early days under the stewardship of Thomas Chalmers. In 1815, when he first arrived as the pastor of the prominent Tron Church in Glasgow's city center, he 
proposed a unique outreach to the cosmopolitan bankers, lawyers, and merchants of the neighborhood. He would undertake a series of businessmen's lunchtime lectures on astronomy, declaring it is a most Christian exercise to extract a sentiment of piety from the works and appearances of nature. Therefore, there is a great and an imposing splendor in the science of astronomy. His aim was to meet objections against the truth of the gospel in the treatises of infidelity and in the conversations of the worldly with a determined examination of the glories of creation in the full knowledge that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. Psalm 19.1. Every other month for the next two years, Chalmers employed every apologetic method in the ample arsenal of Christian truth to developing a vibrant natural theology. He utilized presuppositionalism to move from truth to appearance, as well as evidentialism to move from appearance to truth. He used perspectivalism to reveal truth through circumstance, and historism to reveal circumstance through truth. He undertook systemization by means of theological eisegesis and exposition as a means of biblical exegesis. In the seven discourses, he addressed a host of philosophical and scientific problems. In the first lecture, he addressed the problem of immensity, creation's crowded splendor. In the second lecture, he addressed the problem of exocogitation, intellectual hubris and the need for scientific humility and inquisitiveness. In the third lecture, he addressed the problem of implausibility, the presumptive arguments of secular infidelity. In the fourth lecture, he addressed the problem of exclusivity, the uniqueness of the history of redemption. In the fifth lecture, he addressed the problem of eminency, the abounding grace of the incarnation. In the sixth lecture, he addressed the problem of insignificance, the enormity and economy of providence. And finally, in the seventh lecture, he addressed the problem of effectuality, the value of permanence. Each lecture was grounded in a keystone passage of Scripture, Psalm 8, 1 Corinthians 8, Psalm 113, 1 Peter 1, Luke 15, Galatians 2, and Ezekiel 33. Debates about the age of the earth and speculations of possible conflict with the historicity of the Bible would not enter into the common scientific discourse until well after the death of Chalmers. Indeed, uh, the lectures ended in 1816, long before Darwin ignited the controversy with the publication of The Origin of Species in 1859. Chalmers' aim was simply to find a common ground for scientists and theologians, but without ever compromising the integrity of biblical truth for the sake of supposed scientific accommodation. He declared, let us bring over to the humility of the gospel those who would expiate with delight 
on the wonders and sublimities of creation and to convince them that there is a loftier wisdom still than even of their high and honorable acquirements. All the gifts that animated the effectiveness of Chalmers in ministry were readily apparent in the discourses. His powerful explanation of gospel transformation in these lectures became an immediate sensation. Thousands of copies were printed and distributed all throughout the English-speaking world. The Astronomical Discourses became the best-selling book in the English language over the course of the next several years, outselling Sir Walter Scott and Jane Austen. The Astronomical Discourses exclaimed that the glories of creation call for our awe, wonder, and for a healthy dose of scientific humility. As Chalmers confessed, the wider a man's knowledge becomes, the deeper should be his humility, for the more he knows, the more he sees of what remains unknown. The wider the diameter of light, the larger the circumference of darkness. Indeed, he wrote, with every footstep of growing knowledge, there ought to be a growing humility. That is the best guarantee for both a sound philosophy and a sound faith. Indeed, that is the best guarantee for both resistance and reformation. I'm George Grant on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. For more information and for resources, go to georgegrant.net.